Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Well, good Sunday afternoon, everybody. I'm back. If you didn't get a chance to check out Wednesday's show, I put out a lot of information. You know, I'm doing two shows a week now, Wednesday and Sunday, and Actually, it's going to be more than that. I'm just trying to get everything in place, but it's going to be different platforms. So, you know, just keep an eye out for it. I'll talk about it on the show once I finally get everything in place. Like I said, it was a little rough this year, you know, with the COVID and the heart surgery, and last year was a nightmare. It's just so interesting because, you know, there are a lot of things that are happening in this country, primarily in the black and brown but black communities. And I know some people ask, why do you always include the brown community? Because I've lived in a number of brown communities. I have a relationship with them, you know. Um, and, and then also, you know, I am my brother's keeper, and I, I understand some of the people that are out there that are saying that we're too invested in other people's plights and in, in their, you know, agendas and the issues that are plaguing their communities. But if, if nothing else, we know and we have seen, and it's being demonstrated now, that once they've moved on from those other communities, they're going to make it to us. And then who's going to support us if we turn our backs on everybody? You know, so, I mean, there's some give and take there. And, and I get it, you know, especially when you're dealing with anti-blackness in many of these other communities, but you also have people out here doing the work to try to build those relationships, to try to support one another, to try to encourage one another. They're putting on, you know, they go into these communities with these different organizations, and they're putting on workshops on how to de-escalate situations, how to purge anti-blackness out of these, you know, particular communities. So there is work being done in the background. So I just want to make sure that I, I, you know, state that. But anyway, you know, it's been a lot happening. And there's been a lot of grief, of course. I mean, we're at close to 200,000 people dying from coronavirus in this country. And to be honest with you, I think that number is, you know, suppressed. I actually believe that by mid-September, they say to be 200,000 people. I'm erring on the side of maybe 325, 350,000 people. You know, they are not putting this information out. I need for you all to remember how they went to these hospitals and directed them not to report the numbers to the CDC. These numbers are now reported to the White House. And, you know, with all the skullduggery coming from the White House in this particular administration, I don't know why you would think that this does not apply to this pandemic. So I just want to kind of get your juices flowing. I want you to think about these things. Um, You know, we had a terrible loss over the weekend. Um, I'm sure many of you all have heard about Chadwick Boseman, right, And, and how we lost him. And, you know, it was heartbreaking for a lot of people especially a lot of black people because, you know, he was one of the few that were out there that, were, that actually gave a damn and, and put his money where his mouth was. 
and he spoke to the people. He spoke to the community. He went, you know, he went above and beyond to to let us know that we are loved and that he represented us. And so I just think it's, you know, fitting that we honor him and 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 we celebrate his life. You know, and I want you all to understand that he was a disabled man, a disabled black man. And what I what I do love about this situation is that not one time did it leak that he was sick. He had been going through that for four years. You know, um, he died from colon cancer, and and you know he had been dealing with it for four years before he died or transitioned out of here, and. No one said a word, not one word, and I think that's admirable. You know, when when the night that he passed away, a good friend of mine called me and told me about it, but it was my bedtime, you know, my medication and all of that, and so I was able to talk with them, but not really talk, talk with them, because once I get sleepy, you know, it's a wrap with me, Right. And, you know, after we hung up, I thought about it and, you know, thinking about it even more. And, you know, again, I'll share this with you guys. On January 21st of 2019, my mom passed away from colon cancer that had metastasized to her liver and her lymph nodes. And, you know, when she was diagnosed in 2017, she was already in stage four. So there really wasn't much that they could do for her, even though she went through chemo. And, you know, I came back home. I moved home and um, to take care of her. You know, I came home for that last year. I moved back home in 2018. And, you know, she was the center of my world. So when I hear stories like this, you know, and I see it, you know, it triggers me a little bit because it's like I feel like I'm reliving what we went through, me and my family. And and and, and to watch someone slowly die and knowing that there is not a damn thing you can do to help them. And if you're someone like me, I, I am an empath. I like to fix shit. And there was absolutely nothing I could do. And my mom even had to sit down with me and 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 explain to me that it was her life and these are her decisions to make. And it took a while. You know, but but Chad Chadwick Boseman, I mean, he went above and beyond. You know, I can say the same thing for my mom. My mom would never say that cancer had her or that she had cancer. She always professed that she was a cancer survivor. And my mom held on to her faith until her very last breath. You know, and sometimes, you know, I wonder, you know, I wish I had the strength to do that, to hold on to faith 
as is defined by Christians. I wish I had that. I, I, I actually wish that I had that and that I could do that. But I can't. You know, so when I see things like this, you know, um, it just makes me think. You know, and you shouldn't have to know what's happening in somebody's life, whether they're, you know, sick or dealing with some personal issues or what have you. We shouldn't have to know that to be kind to one another, to show empathy. And, um, you know, I'm just sitting back and I marvel at his ability to, to keep his diagnosis, you know, private. However, I remember when he did that video on Instagram in which they announced that they had raised with other black celebrities $4.2 million to help, you know, um, basically uh, minority or black and brown communities that were being devastated and impacted by the coronavirus. And there were some people out there that, you know, basically ignored the message that they were putting their money together collectively to help our community. They bypassed all of that to critique his appearance. And I hope you feel like an asshole. You never know what somebody is going through, you know, and, um, you know, there's a lot of ableist language out there that people are using in regards to, you know, Mr. Bozeman, and, um, you know, we need to check ourselves on that, you know, um, and we need to talk about these things. You know, I was sharing with that same friend about my family and how it seems as though everything in my family is a secret. So when it comes to certain illnesses, you know, in particular with my issue with um, autoimmune issues, you know, that had it was something that ran through the family. And had I known that, I probably would have been able to get my diagnosis a lot earlier and not suffered. You know, so, I mean, you know, that's, mm-mm. you need to share that with the people in the family. You know, and I understand, you know, you have people out here that don't want to talk about, you know, illness and sickness and disability. And some of you may think that by speaking those things, you're bringing it to it into existence. I get it. I get it. But it's responsible. You have a duty to let your your children and other relatives know what's happening. You know, it wasn't until I was, you know, in my 30s, and I mean my mid-late 30s, that I found out that my grandfather died from cancer and how he had been diagnosed. He went to the hospital because he was sick. They kept him, and they diagnosed the cancer, and he died three weeks later. I didn't know that until my mom shared it with me. 
but that was late in life. And my oldest aunt, my, okay, my grandmother had 15 children. My aunt that passed away on January 1st was the first child, and my mom who passed away on January 21st was the second child. And then I had another aunt that passed um, on February 2nd on the day of my mother's funeral. So 2019 was just, you know, a kick in the ass. And it's just, you know, someone posted on Twitter that with all of the grief that we're dealing with, that we can't even hug each other. If that's not a swift kick in the ass, I don't know what is. You know, we had, you know, other deaths subsequent to that, you know, this year as well. And, you know, we had to Zoom the funeral. And, you know, I would not have been able to hug my cousins if I wanted to. You know, and um, so I'm just saying this to say, you know, we need to love each other. We need to love on each other. And, you know, I think we just need to go back and reboot some shit and start looking at these things closer. But, you know, we need to look at ourselves and check ourselves and our behavior and how we treat other people. And that includes me. You know, there's a hell of a lot of room for improvement on my end. You know, and just because, you know, <laughs> I got to make sure I state this. Yes, I'm checking myself. And just because, you know, I've chosen to forgive some people and forgive some things, that does not mean that there's an invitation for you to come back into my life. I severed those ties for a reason. But I'm okay with it. And you should be too. So, um, you know, so I want to honor Chadwick Bozeman and his accomplishments and most importantly his humanity and the love that he showed for black people and how he was in 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 the Black Panther movie and how that brought this country together, but it also helped to foster and build a relationship with with many Africans on the continent, right? But not only that, I'm talking about the, the, the African diaspora, right, diaspora, and and how we all came together, you know, for that movie. Yes, there were criticisms, but they're going to, you know, people are going to criticize anything and everything. I'm one of those. So, you know, I raised my hand in the air, but that movie represented us. And... It's just, you know, um, I hope they don't try to find someone to to replace him. I hope they allow the, you know, his sister to take over. But we'll see. We'll see. Because I know there's supposed to be a Black Panther 2. I did not go and look up to see if they had already started pushing it. Or, I'm sorry, started filming it. Um, I don't know, so please forgive me. I just thought about this, you know. Um, wow. So anyway, um, huh, there's a lot there, but um, to all of you that are out there, you know, hey, 
I love you, and I thank you for being here with me. I was looking over my stats, and again, for a little podcast that I really don't advertise or promote or market very much, what I can say is that we have over a million and a half listening hours, and and um, and I'm proud of that. And someone just Lord sent me a note saying they didn't start filming. It was supposed to start filming in March, so the coronavirus, you know, um, delayed that. So thank you, Lori. I appreciate it. But um, yeah. So yeah, over a million and a half listening hours. So I can't believe that, you know, (laughs) there are people out there that have listened to over a million and a half hours of the show. You know, I think that's phenomenal. I thank you. I appreciate you, Um, you know, and, and, you know, there's more to come. Like I said, I'm in a much better place now. You know, there were a lot of things happening. So anyway, I just, you know, let's kind of... I want to dive into the show, but there are some things that I definitely, you know, I definitely want to address the RNC and that dog and pony show that took place. I was absolutely floored at that big old propaganda infomercial and and how they violated the Hatch Act and gave no damn. And they haven't been caring about any of that. They have been pushing the envelope. As a matter of fact, that envelope is no longer on the desk. It's on the floor with shoe marks on it. You know, probably some pet dander and (laughs) dust, too. And the thing is, is that, yes, the the Republicans are enabling Trump, but this is the Democrats' fault, too for allowing this to happen and not pushing back as hard as they could have. For, you know, again, I know I know there are a lot of people that subscribe to, well, we're going to take the upper road. We're going to be the better person. Damn that. When you're dealing with someone like that, you have to take pettiness to a new level. And like I always said, I would love to um, do some stuff with the Democratic Party. You will have to pay me because I'm not going to volunteer and do shit for free. But, you know, if you want petty, I can give you petty. And I can give it to you very well. But I'm trying to be a better person. So, (laughs) anyway, you know, um, there was a video of Rand Paul walking back to his car after... You know, the Cheddar Tater Tot gave his acceptance speech. And basically, there were protesters out there that basically chased him to his car. And I'm looking at the headlines, and they're saying things like, oh, he was attacked. He was accosted. All of these things. No, that's not true. So anyway, um, don't forget Rand Paul is the guy that took a sealed letter to Russia you know, for Donald Trump. Don't forget those things. So anyway, let's let's get on into the show today. Dear Black Church, is Trump the real deal? So it says here, please join us Sunday at 1 o'clock Central Daylight Time. Dear Black Church, is Trump the real deal? I have some questions for you. I've been noticing the uptick in support from the Black Church for Trump, and I'm a bit 
I'm a tad bit curious about this recent change. So, of course, you know, black Republicans are welcome to call the show. Um, Black libertarians, too. I got something for you, too. And, you know, there are a number of questions that I have. And what I don't understand is despite seeing what's happening in this country, hearing the words that come out of his lips, all of these things, I'm trying to understand how you all continue to excuse the behavior. You know, excuse the behavior and act as though this is normal. Because there's absolutely nothing normal about this guy's behavior and and what he's doing. And you know, one of the questions that I have for you is, is basically is is Trump a false idol? Is he that golden calf? Is he that Messiah that some Christians are professing him to be? I'm trying to understand. You know, you have many of these Christians out here who are saying that he is the real deal. And, you know, some of them believe that he is God. But, you know, I want you all to go back and, and, and look at the history of the, uh, of the white Christian church, especially, you know, the white Christian church that is out here, you know, saying that they're against LGBTQ community, you know, uh, marriage equality, abortion rights for women. And it's interesting because you care about that child until it's born, and and then you don't care anymore. You tell a, uh, you know, tell an infant and a toddler that they should go out and get a job. You know, uh, when many of you don't know the history and you know the trajectory of where this all came from, and I spoke about it briefly about you know Liberty University again, Jerry Falwell the daddy, senior, and and how they wanted to keep segregation within their college and university because it started out as a college and then it expanded into a university. You know, the, you know, you have to go back and look at the history there, but how they wanted to continue to receive federal money, but they wanted to discriminate against black people and others that were, um, you know, not white. They wanted to discriminate so that they could deny them admission. And it turned into a big fight, and that's when you started getting groups like the Moral Majority and some of these other white-wing Christian groups. And, you know, what I find interesting about Jerry Falwell, Jr. now, that, you know, basically what you saw playing out with him and his wife and the, the, the pool boy is to me is just the modern version of Adam and Eve, if you will, from the Bible. You know, that woman made me do it. Right? I would have been fine had she not bit the pool boy. Hmm. And he was in on it. It was not a surprise 
He was part of that as well. And see, and this is the thing. I really don't give a damn about them having, you know, extra partners <laughs> in, 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 in their relationship. You know, that's, you know, more commonplace now than most people realize. It's just that you can't say you're against all of these things here while you're out here doing these other things. That is one of the problems that, you know, that, that took down Eddie Long. And, you know, why it hasn't pulled Jamal Bryant down, I don't know. Did you all see that march on Washington? And I know some of you are probably like, she didn't even mention it. No, I didn't mention it. Because we all know that I have issues with Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson. And, and, and a lot of what they stand for. And basically, you know, the fact that I see them in their own feeble ways attempting to co-opt the Black Lives Matter movement. And again, I must stress that there is a difference between the Black Lives Matter movement and the Black Lives Matter network. Two totally separate things. Two entities. And um, with, the, with, you know, Jerry Falwell and his wife and the pool boy, you know, that just kind of fell out. But I can pretty much guarantee you that there are going to be more stories coming out about this. You know, and go back and look at the history of the moral majority and the racism with it and white evangelicals and their relationship with, you know, racism. You know, I got a number of um, articles that I'm going to post on Reddit after the show. I didn't get a chance to post it before because I was waiting on my food to be delivered. So anyway, (laughs) you know, the important things in life. But, um... It's interesting because Falwell Jr. resigned from the university with a $10 million golden parachute, right? You know, a $10 million severance pay. And, and you know, he made a very distasteful comment. He said he was free at last from liberty. And, and it's just interesting because it, it's, going to be interesting watching that as well as others because I haven't gone out to look because I really don't care, but I'm kind of wondering what some of these other white evangelicals are saying because more than likely they're doing a no true Scotsman, right? So with the no true Scotsman logical fallacy, you know, they'll say, well, they weren't real Christians or they weren't real evangelicals or they weren't, you know, really one of us. And you see that in all communities. You know, I mean, even in the atheist community, when you had a crazed-ass atheist in North Carolina that killed a couple of Muslims. You had the atheist community, many people saying, well, he wasn't really an atheist. He was an anti-theist. Same damn thing. But again, no true Scotsman. So it's just, you know, watching and seeing the hypocrisy all the way around. And, you know, even when I see some of the atheists mocking Falwell, you know, I just sit back and trip out because in in that particular atheist community, they glorify sexual predators and will fight to the tooth and nail to defend them or excuse the behavior. But yet you want to point the finger at the Christian church when the same damn 
predatory behavior is happening over there. And, of course, you know, I'm making the atheist community look bad by, you know, talking about these things. But, it's again, it's a mirror image of mainstream society with the racism and the misogyny and the patriarchy and homophobia and transphobia. You know, um, you know, there is a false narrative that the atheist community is, you know, um, you know, very tolerant of the LGBT community. Now, they are tolerant of the LGBT community if you're white. Again, these are people that want to get their regular white people status back. And the same thing applies to Christianity when you see what's happening with them and the things that they're doing. You know, again, how can you be a Christian and 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 discriminate against people in your own community? I mean, if black people, brown people, LGBTQ people, you know, just just all of the outliers or the others, the people that they other, if all of them left the church, there would be no church. You would have no money. You would have no willing workers. And it's just interesting because, you know, um, some of my old Christian friends, you know, have made some comments, you know, oh, she's just angry. She's mad at the church. She's mad at God. She's been turned over to a reprobated mind. No. I'm just not willing to excuse the shit anymore. Well, don't look at the man. Look at the God in him. Ain't no God in that. And there is no way in the world you can you can make me believe that there is God in abuse. Because even what happened, you know, with me in church, um, I was questioning then. I've been questioning religion since I was 11, 12 years of age. So this is not anything new. So, again, you know, is Donald Trump, the golden calf because many of you have idolized him and what I find troubling is that I'm starting to see a lot of black Christians do the same thing I believe Donald Trump is going to get a record turnout of black voters voting for him in the Republican Party 13% of black men voted for him in 2016 I believe he's going to get somewhere between 13 and 17 percent of the total black vote, which is a record, you know, for the Republican Party. Now, I posted an article, well, not an article, it was an NPR piece about why black people fled the Republican Party in the 1960s. You want to read, you listen to it, read that article. So it's important for you to understand what happened. It's important for you all to understand the Southern strategy and how the Southern Southern strategy is being strategically played even to this day, and we are starting to see the results of this strategy that started about 50 years ago. This is not a coincidence. So anyway, um, you know, uh, is, is, is Donald Trump a false prophet? Or do you really believe that God sent Trump to this country 
God sent Trump to be, you know, positioned in in power. And, you know, this all falls into the evangelical Christian community wants power. And they want control over everything and everyone. And the evangelical community has been steeped in racism from the very beginning. I remember when there was a pastor in California, Frederick K. Price, he did a series about race and religion. He lost a lot of members. He lost a lot of supporters when he did that. Because if you notice, especially with the black pastors and the brown pastors, they rarely talk about race. So it makes me wonder, are you fully aware of what's happening, but you know which side of the bread is buttered? Or are you willfully ignorant? Because you have people out here that will claim ignorance, but no. You know, they they like to hide behind that and shield themselves with that innocence, with that ignorance. And, you know, what I see happening... um, in these churches, especially in regards to church, to Trump, and and it's crazy, you know, how Kanye was able to turn his 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 fandom, if you will, into a church. I don't under I I'll never understand that shit, but I do understand that he received a lot of money back with the PPP, and so did a lot of churches. So again. Over the years, you all have heard me talk about faith-based initiatives and how a lot of that money was basically being given to church nonprofit groups. And and to me, it's always been a payoff, right? And now with the PPP money, they were able to push more money into the churches. And again, you have to remember with the Cheddar Tater Tide, He was trying to abolish the Johnson rule. The IRS does not investigate these churches that are preaching politics from the pulpit. And some of your favorite mega pastors are doing it. Look at what's going on with the Copelands down in Texas. And, you know, how is I can't even begin, you know, to, to stress to you guys, you need to look this up. And, you know, we talk about the separation of church and state. That's gone now, especially with that PPP loan program that these churches will not have to pay back. They're being paid to keep their mouths shut. And that includes some black churches. You know, on a show, I talked about um, on the the last show, I talked about Daryl Skye. I had his name at first, and then I kind of forgot it that quickly, but Daryl Scott out of, you know, Ohio, and he is one of the biggest cheerleaders for Donald Trump. And, of course, we know about Paula White, and, you know, and there's a list, and I'm going to post that a little later, of these churches that are out here. Pat Robinson, you know, um, in his American Center for Law and Justice. And let me see here. I'm going to go ahead and list some of these. So um, in this article here that is entitled, Televangelist Megachurches Tied to Trump Approved for Millions in Pandemic Aid. Again, Televangelist Megachurches Tied to Trump Approved for Millions in Pandemic Aid. 
and you can find this on Reuters, right? And it was written by Chris Prentice. And so down here, let me find it. It says the list of religious organizations approved for about 88,400 small business loans also included Faith and Freedom Coalition, Inc. in Georgia, which qualified for $150,000 to $350,000 loan. Um, and Ralph Reed is the group founder and chair, right? And, of course, you know, he turned around and praised Trump for his photo op after they tear-gassed peaceful protesters, right? You have Church, well, Cross Church of Arkansas, huh, whose pastor, you know, a former pastor, has been a member of Trump's Evangelical Advisory Board. Don't forget they have that. But they received a $1.8 million loan, and they're definitely going to seek loan forgiveness. You know, and American Center for Law and Justice, again, Pat Robertson, won the $2 million loans, and, and one of Donald Trump's lawyers, you know, um, John Seculo, right? He's the chief counsel, according to the organization's website. You have City of Destiny, where Paula White, you know, they, they got 150000 to $350,000. Now, it lists Paula White as the spiritual advisor and oversight pastor. Her son is the pastor of the church. Now, Paula White originally had Without Walls Ministries with her ex-husband, Randy. And, you know, I'll let you go out there and get all the tea that you want, but they got divorced for Anyway, they got divorced, and what happened is, let me see here. She ended up taking City of Destiny over. Hold on a second here, because I want to make sure I get this pastor's name right. Because she ended up taking over this church, City of Destiny, because the pastor there wanted to come under, um, you know, Paula White's ministry. And what happened was his name was Zachary Timms. I had to look it up to make sure I got his name. That's the one that everybody was claiming, you know, that looked like Will Smith. And so to make a long story short, there was a drug overdose. He died. Paula White came to that church and basically pushed Zachary's wife out of the way and took over the ministry. And so the church split, and they went with the, you know, with um, First Lady Thames to her new church. And some stayed at City of Destiny. And basically, you know, they the donations dropped, the attendance dropped, you know, there, there was, you know, a lot of controversy, you know, lawsuits, you know, a number of things. And so Paula White, stepped out of that particular position, especially when she married the, the, the keyboardist for the group Journey, and she's on a road with him a lot, but her son took over the, the um, ministry. And her son is an atheist. Go and look that up. Paula White's son, pastor, is an atheist. Or as he says, a former atheist. And that's something that you're going to see as well. And so, you know, black church, I want you all to pay attention because, you are you know, they already have atheist churches. They already have atheist fellowships. 
And to me, my personal opinion is that in, in many cases, all they're trying to do in their own way is replace the church in a sense whereas they get the money. Because many of them do not care to do any type of, you know, human rights activism, any social justice activism. You know, many of them, you know, uh, basically shun all identitarian politics except for the fact that they're white, they're male, and they're atheists. You know, so, you know, and, 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 you know, those are given. Why? Because that's the default. And so they try to force the rest of us to assimilate. But the whole atheist community, just in general, is just a big old ball of fuckery. And I can talk about it because I've seen it up close and personal, you know. And so I'm going to go ahead and post that article a little later. But, you know, I basically gave you the gist of the article. It wasn't a long article or anything like that. But, you know, um, you have these churches that are out here stomping for Donald Trump. And I don't understand these black pastors. So where I'm coming from with this is the way that Donald Trump designed his campaign in 2016, you know, it was kind of like, hmm, it was designed somewhat like these mega churches, you know, these, these, these word of faith churches. And I remember talking about it, and people were like, Kim, you're reaching. I'm like, no, I'm like, I know this game, and I can see it a mile away. And so that's when I started talking about the prosperity gospel of Donald Trump. And, you know, and I talked about it, and I put it out there, and I wanted to get people's attention, but, you know, they didn't believe it. You know, and many of you all, you know, black, brown, red, yellow, white, you all were laughing at Trump. And, you know, we were laughing at him initially until we started looking at the numbers and the galvanized support. And we started telling people to stop laughing. They laughed all, they laughed him into the White House. And this is what we have. So what I can't understand is with these white Christians, particularly these white evangelicals, how can you support this man when he has deliberately allowed this pandemic to ravage black and brown communities? How can you support this man when he's kicking LGBTQ people out of the military? When he's stacking the courts so that he can reverse marriage equality? if it ever gets to that point. They want to reverse that. I mean, hell, they took Section 5 away from the Voting Rights Act. And I'm talking about the court, you know, and, and, and you know, um, that was before he even got in office. You know, that happened when Obama was in office, so I want to make sure that I'm fair about that. Um, and they want to reverse Roe v. Wade, and not only just the Supreme Court, you all have to remember that they appoint, appoint people to these federal benches. So you got to think about these things. So, you know, how can these white Christians support that? You know, and that's just the least of it. I haven't even really touched on his behavior and his, his rhetoric towards women and black people and brown people and Muslims. 
which is, you know, in Islam is primarily a black and brown religion. A black and brown religion that white people have not figured out how to manipulate and exploit. So they demonize and vilify them. Because Muslims want their justice now. Christians, y'all going to wait for the by and by when you get to the other side. And I think you're, you know, you're doing yourself a disservice. And so I see the numbers are, you know, increasing in the black community as far as support for Trump is concerned. And, you know, so let's talk a little bit about that. Because there's a lot of psychology behind this. And I need for you all to pay attention and understand there's a reason why Trump idolizes these dictators and these strongmen and how everything he does is centered around him looking like a strong man, like an authoritarian. Because when you go and you look at Christianity, the way that it's set up, it's a very authoritarian religion. So, again, you know, with this patriarchal mindset and this authoritarian mindset, you have God. That is the top. And then you have man who's supposed to submit and take their orders and have that relationship with God and then pass it down to his wife or woman and their children. And then you have the pastors who are authoritarian or strong men of their churches and gives the orders, if you will, or, or instructions to the congregants. And it just sets up this really interesting, you know, um, dynamic there in which, you know, especially in black and brown churches and especially black churches, we have been trained to submit to authority. And that's not just the black church, the black community. And this is why you hear us talking about patriarchy and misogyny so much because it creates a very toxic type of relationship in my opinion and this is how situations like this are set up personally I believe the church in general but especially the black church has been set up to fail and they're starting to erode and what scares me is Again, they're implementing these different programs out there. They're trying to take our social safety net, the so-called entitlement programs, and they're trying to push them off of the federal register, off the federal roll, and push it down to these 501C whatever number. Primarily, these churches, they do not have the infrastructure nor the subject matter expertise to make these programs work. Now, there are some, you know, people from community organizations, civic organizations, you know, all of them, including the atheist community, atheist organizations that are getting out here and doing some work. But, you know, in some cases, you know, they were shamed into doing the work. And some of them, you know, even half-assed does that because there's been a lot of fallout from a lot of those things. You know, but I did see that it was an organization that fed, you know, hot meals to hungry people. I commend that. 
doesn't matter what or what particular group you identify with. You know, because, you know, I do a lot with homeless people, or at least I did when I was in Chicago. But where I live now, the homeless people down here really don't have anything to worry about. You know, this place here is so worried about their public image that they jump over hoops to make sure that they give off the appearance of, you know, um, of, of being civic-minded, of being helpful, of being supportive, of being, you know, proactive in these particular situations. But there's a dark side to that as well, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But, you know, you're starting to see this. They're trying to push this down to the churches, right? And it's a trick. And I know some of you are like, Kim, you've talked about this before. Yes, I've talked about a lot of things before, but when I look at my news feed or I'll watch, you know, a video or read an article from some of you that I know that have been listening to this show, it's like you don't know shit. You forgot everything I said about that. So I have to come back and revisit it. But with this particular situation here, the thing with the black church is I personally believe that the black church is 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 starting to erode away slowly but surely and I believe that there are some that do not recognize what is happening and there are some that recognize what's happening but you know they're for sale to the highest bidder so say la vie right and it's a shame. So that's why I'm talking about, you know, you have some of these groups out here that call themselves starting their own ministries and fellowships and all of that. Pay attention because it's a trick. So anyway, with the black people that are supporting Trump, you know, 13% of black men supported Trump. I believe he's going to get between 13 and 17% of the total black vote. And, you know, there were a number of things that were happening out here. There's an article on NPR, Black Pastors and Trump. And this is going all the way back to August 5th. And in this article, you have, um, you know, Eugene Scott talking with the host, Lulu Garcia Navarro. And they're talking about, you know, the faith leaders in the black community or the black church. And, and, huh. Um, basically, Scott in this article is talking about Paula White and says basically he's saying that she is the de facto head of Trump's Evangelical Advisory Board, which is a loose coalition, and Daryl Scott and a number of other people, and how Daryl Scott is a surrogate and advocate for the campaign. And basically, um, you know, he's critiquing them. And basically, you know, he says here, but what we also haven't heard was what these pastors believe Trump would do related to prison reform, which was the purpose of the meeting. And, you know, that's one of the, you know, one of the points, talking points that Donald Trump made in his speech about prison reform and how he had granted clemency to that one particular, you know, black woman that spoke 
And when she went to his office the very next day, because she had an interview on MSNBC, and she was being very vague on purpose, but when she made it to his office, he fully pardoned her. And I can understand, you know, that's probably what she had been praying for, you know, a new new start on life. Um, you know, I would not be surprised if she ends up opening a church and all of these things. But the motives behind Trump are disingenuous. I mean, it's, it's, I don't understand how some of you all don't see this. And with this Eugene Scott, he's his title is, identity politics reporter for the Washington Post. I'm going to let that go for now because I got a whole lot to say about that. But uh, (laughs) I want you guys to go out and, like I said, do some research for yourself. Um, There's an article in the Washington Post titled, Trump is pushing churches to open. Black pastors and hard-hit St. Louis are preaching caution. And this was written by Griff Witt on May 31st of this year. So, basically, St. Louis's Church of God in Christ um, and their pastor, Bishop Elijah Hankerson III, basically they were having a conversation about, you know, churches reopening. And Hankerson was pushing back because he said he basically he saw or he had a more personal view of the devastation that many people were experiencing from the coronavirus. Now, there's a reason why Trump was pushing to have these churches reopened because these pastors were, you know, basically bleeding money they were not receiving the donations and the tithes that they were accustomed to. So their churches were basically, some of these churches were on the brink of failure. And that's still happening now. And and some of them, you know, again, out here telling their people that, you know, you're covered by the blood of Jesus. And some of those very same pastors and members that were saying, you know, you know, you know, the coronavirus doesn't have me. And all of those things, they're dead. Or they get, you know, very sick and probably wish they were dead at some point. Because from what I see and what I've heard about the coronavirus, that is no joke. And so, you know, again, by doing this, you know, the black community will suffer even more. Because why? We are the most religious group in this country. And there are reasons why they were fighting to open these churches, especially the white evangelical ones. It was about their money. And I really just want you guys to go out and use those critical thinking skills and pay attention. And I'll be the first one to say, you know, if they come up with a vaccine, guess who ain't taking that vaccine? And what was interesting is some of these churches, especially some of these black churches that decided to keep their clo- their churches closed, they were being challenged 
they were being criticized. People were all in their face about not reopening their churches. But some of them have consciences, if you will. So, again, um, I'm just looking at it. I'm just looking at it, you know, the black and brown community, especially the black community, we've already had to deal with, you know, by the violence of gentrification in our neighborhoods, you know, um, how they've allowed our neighborhoods to become dilapidated, you know, not, not encouraging business to come into the community and get food deserts. You know, you shouldn't have to take two buses and a train to go get groceries. You know, get legally enforced segregation. You know, um, again, in this article, it's talking about urban renewal, right? And we all know that was a farce or um, urban modernization in some cases, you know, what they call it, right? But you need to know that history. And with this COVID-19 corona, this is not helping it at all. So then also just the health disparities, the, you know, pre-existing conditions, all of those things. I just need for you to step back and take a look at the bigger bigger picture. You know, what is, let me see here, Dr. John, you know, Henry Clark, who I don't quote very often, but John Henry Clark, he says, whoever is in control of the hell in your life is your devil. And interestingly enough, some of those people you find at church. I'm just saying, but I'm not saying. You know, don't send me any crazy-ass emails because I will give you a crazy-ass response. We know how that works. So, um, you know, I just want you guys to go out and look and and just do a Google search, Donald Trump Black Voters Gift Cards Cash Church, and and, and take a look at what they had started planning for the black church, what they had started doing, you know, handing out cash, handing out gift cards, giving people big screen TVs, you know, a number of things. And and, and I forgot, what was the name? It was the name of a program. Hold on a second. I'll look it up. Let me see here. I forgot the name of the program, but um, it's, a, it's a program they had out there in which they were, um, you know, doing this under the Trump campaign. And, of course, Daryl Scott was in charge of a lot of this. Dang on it. Let's see here. I think this is it. In one of these giveaways, they were giving away basically about $25,000 in cash and going to the black churches and, 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 and the black community. As a matter of fact, there's an article on Washington Post a Trump ally's $25,000 cash giveaway for black voters could mean legal trouble. Scheme may violate IRS regulations and restrictions on political activity by White House staffers. 
And this was written by Donald Sherman, right? And here it is. This is the name of it, Urban Revitalization Coalition. Urban Revitalization Coalition. And and basically this is headed by Daryl Scott. I need you to look that up and see what they were doing. And that coalition was put together in 2017 under a 501c3. And, you know, again, child, I just need you to pay attention, to ask questions, and to find out why. It's another article that I want you guys to go and take a look at. Again, this is on Politico. Trump allies are handing out cash to black voters. Again, Trump allies are handing out cash to black voters. This is on Politico, and it was written by Ben Schreckinger. And this was published January 29th of this year. Um, Another one on NPR, I may have mentioned this one, but I'll mention it again. The Trump campaign is back on the ground to woo African-American voters. Again, the Trump campaign is back on the ground to woo African-American voters. This was written by Aisha Rasko. I think I talked about this last week. And it was published August 11th of this year. Um, Another one that I want you guys to go and look up and read is, all right, let me scroll up. Trump campaign to open engagement centers to woo black voters in 15 cities. Again, Trump campaign to open engagement centers to woo black voters in 15 cities, right? So it says here, black voices for Trump locations will be opened in battleground states to tout the administration's accomplishments. Now, this was published February 20th of, or 26th, February 26th of this year by Monica Alba. That's who wrote this, Monica Alba. And basically, they were planning, because I know some people that were, you know, basically about to take these contracts and work for them and be sent, you know, well, I know someone through someone, let me clarify that, that was going to be contracted to go out to these different places to talk about black, you know, to talk about blacks for Trump and why the black community should support them. But the locations for these, quote, black voices for Trump, end quote, Spaces include Detroit, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Miami, Charlotte, and Atlanta, right? And and also in Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, Pennsylvania, North Carolina, and Georgia. So, you know, again, those are their top-tier target states. But, you know, it's going to be real interesting about what happens in Wisconsin right about now. You know, and so, again, you know, talks about these efforts being unprecedented, you know, unprecedented efforts. I'm just outdone by the whole thing. And I understand that he gave HBCU some money. I just need you to pay attention. Pay attention, you know. Um, pay attention and keep an eye on Alice Marie Johnson. 
Because I bet you the church is coming out of that. And, you know, again, getting back to center, you know, you have Donald Trump, you know, doing everything that he can to seem and sound like an authoritarian, to come across as a strong man. He wants to be a dictator. And, and to be honest with you, you know, he's meeting very little resistance. What can you do? What do you do? There's a lot we can do. But the Democrats need to find a backbone and stand up. And the difference between Trump and some of these other ones is the fact that Trump is pure D lazy. He's never had to work a day in his life. And the thing is, is that the reason why I feel like the, the, that the church has set themselves up and the rest of us is because they play into this authoritarian type of, you know, dynamic. So, you know, that same dynamic, you know, is applied in, in, in not only in, in the home and in, in the families, but even on the streets. And I'm not really going to get too much into it, but you do have some men out here who feel that women should subjugate themselves to them just because they are a man. It doesn't matter if she knows them or not. They have that authority in their minds. And when, when women push back, they get upset. And, you know, and again, I, again, I need to stress that you all pay attention to the relationship that some of these black nationalists have with these white nationalists that support Trump. You know, there are a lot of atheists that support Trump, prominent atheists. You know, many of them go under the banner of being a libertarian. And the only difference between a libertarian and a Republican is libertarians like to smoke weed and have sex parties. But you're still not supposed to talk about that in public. And you have this same dynamic, you know, within the atheist community. I know some of you like him. Why do you talk about the atheist community? Because I used to be a part of it, and it's just, you know, it's a sight to behold. You know, and even within the atheist community, you know, there was a lot of attempts at forced acclimation or forced assimilation, if you will. Why do you have to be black freethinkers? Why can't you just be freethinkers? As a matter of fact, when Chris Cameron book, when his book came out, um, there was a white guy that was on his on a thread on his wall and says, well, you know, um, yeah, you know, you start out as black free thinkers and then later on turn it into just free thinkers. How about that shit? How about it? And again, you know, the gaslighting the forced assimilation, you know, um, it's just crazy. And it's important that you guys, you know, pay attention 
there's an article in The Atlantic that I want you to read as well. And this particular article is entitled, There is No Christian Case for Trump, Where Faith is Treated as an Instrumentality, is Bad for Politics and Worse for the Christian Witness. Again, the title of the article, There is No Christian Case for Trump. And this was published January 30th this year, and it was written by Peter Weiner, W-E-H-N-E-R, Weiner, 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 Weiner. So anyway, in this particular article, um, is referencing an article in Christianity Today. And in, in that particular article, I re- remember when it came out, and it was talking about Donald Trump being removed from office. And it caused a major, major uproar. And, and, and people were unsubscribing and, and writing, you know, letters furiously, you know, picking on that keyboard. How dare you say Trump should be removed from office? He was appointed by God. He is God's anointed. He is the Messiah. You do know some of these white evangelicals think that he's the Messiah. They think that he's God. So anyway, in this in this particular article, you know, it's interesting because you had a lot of pushback, and a lot of this pushback is coming from seminarians, right? And in this case, Wayne Gruden or Grudem, a distinguished research professor of theology and biblical studies at Phoenix Seminary in Scottsdale, Arizona, and and of course, people are like, who is he? We don't know who he is. He's a Calvinist, and, you know, Calvinists are, you know, they're pretty devout about their Bible, about Scripture, about how they observe them, right? And basically, you know, with this guy, he pushed back, and he defended Trump in that particular article, And, um, you know, in 2016, he did an article called Why Voting for Donald Trump is a Morally Good Choice. And, um, you know, again, he's an authoritarian figure when it comes to biblical ethics. And all I got to say is you all need to be careful. Be careful because I see this amongst a lot of these different communities. You have 53% of white women that voted for Trump. And you have white people out here, you know, marching and saying, you know, you know, making, you know, all of these statements, you know, whether it's on um, social media or out in public. But when they get behind that voting booth, they vote for Trump but they don't want to appear to be racist. And they know exactly what to say. You know, it was interesting because, um, you know, we held a rally and, you know, when I was out and about talking to people, I had this one guy, white guy, that told me about my locks and about why I had the locks and it was a journey and blah, blah, blah. And I'm just looking at him like he's lost his goddamn mind. White people, stop it. Do not do that. Um, huh, because it's pandering. 
and it's offensive. You know, it's very offensive. You know, we get to tell our story. You don't get to tell our story. And we already know that there are two Americas, you know. One America, you could be walking for the police, just walking away from them and get shot seven times in the back. In the other America, you can be a 17-year-old white supremacist, domestic terrorist, assassin, thug from the state of Illinois who was driven by their mama to Wisconsin and carrying a legal AR-15, an AR-15, which was legally illegally obtained, we'll put it that way, and shoot protesters and be basically told by the police department, we, we appreciate you being out here, reinforcing the mindset of these white militias, these white nationalists, these white supremacists, and giving a bottle of water and giving accolades and allowed to go home, even after you told them that you shot a few protesters. And then you have white Christian churches raising money for this particular individual. And then you wonder why many of us question religion, and especially you're starting, you know, there is a mass exodus happening in these churches. Which is why you see the Trump administration and his white evangelical basis basically, you know, putting it out there and, again, trying to position themselves in power so that they can control people, so that they can control what's happening around. They need your money. They need your free service. You know, they they need their mules around. And you need to understand that. So is Trump the real deal? Yeah, he's the real deal. He's a real problem. And it doesn't help because of the way that the gospel has been preached in in all of these churches, but especially in some black churches. And again, white supremacist talking points. When I look at, you know, the word of faith, prosperity gospel, I see nothing but hyper-capitalism, white supremacy. And authoritarianism. And you see the same thing in some of these little sanctified and holiness churches. But it's different when you're commanding, you know, a membership of 10, 15, 50, 70,000 people. And I want you to pay attention to the silence of your black pastors or these black evangelicals, with the exception of some like Daryl Scott. Now, when I say the exception of Daryl Scott, no, I want you to pay attention to what he's saying. But what I'm saying is the other prominent pastors like T.D. Jakes, Creflo Dalla, Jamal Bryant, I can name more, but you know the direction I'm going in. Hell, Frederick K. Price Jr., what are they not saying? And it's important for you guys to pay attention to that and to understand. But, yeah, you know, you, you know, the black community, the black church, you have been set up. You have been set up. And, you know, the erosion 
is only going to get worse. It's only a matter of time before it implodes. Then what? Then what's going to happen to the community? What's going to happen to the people that need the help? And in addition to this, you have some black atheists that are out here stumping for Trump as well. Let's not be deceived. I need you guys to use critical thinking skills in every area, every aspect of your life, not just when it comes to religion. You need to see what this other person is going to, how they're going to benefit, what they're going to receive. You have way too many of them that are out here hucking and bucking, shucking and jiving, you know, for these white people. I'm talking about the black and brown folks out here that's doing all of that, you know, Amos and Andying for, you know, these white people and these white organizations. They're out here, and they're plentiful, and they're going to sell you the story. They're going to sell you the hype because they are getting paid to sell that to you. And that's just, they're getting paid. They're the overseers of everything black or they want to be. While they send you out to slaughter, they have commodified you. You know, what does the scripture say? They will make merchandise of you? I need for you guys to understand that your very existence is data-driven. And that data is very valuable. You are valuable. Except you're not receiving the money. The people that are out here telling you. And, you know, some of them are like, well, Kim, you're saying these things. Look, I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm not telling you to vote. I'm telling you to question shit. I already know where I stand. And if it wasn't for the coronavirus and the threat to Social Security and the threat to, you know, black communities, black and brown communities, I probably would sit this election out. But I can't afford to do that. I don't have any children of my own. However, I consider my nieces and nephews like my children. And they have children. And their children have children. Oh, it's interesting, Eugene Scott is on MSNBC right now talking, you know. Anyway, um, so I feel it's my duty to vote for them. And, you know, seeing what they're going through, I mean, you know, a lot of this is ridiculous. Um, you know, he was impeached, you guys. He was impeached but not removed. If he wins again, I can only imagine what's going to happen next. And you you all just be ready for it. You know, I'm going to give you a few more articles here I want you to go and read. This one is on NBCnews.com. And basically... The title of this article is White Evangelicals Love Trump and Aren't Confused About Why No One Should Be. White Evangelicals Love Trump and Aren't Confused About Why 
no one should be. So right here it says focusing on the disconnect between Trump's actions and the moral aspects of evangelicals' faith misses the issue that keeps their support firm. And this is written by Anthea Butler. And this came out September 27th of 2019, right? And so, again, when I'm talking about, you know, you've been set up, you know, one of the things that I remember hearing in a church, you know, for a long time, especially if you accuse the pastor or somebody that's part of the, you know, pastor's crew there, you know, whether they're on a deacon board or the usher board, the associate pastors, you know, missionaries, whatever, you know, when when you would critique something that they said or something that they did, they would dismiss it as gossip, of course, and gaslight your ass, you know, if you're not the subject of the sermon next week. And in addition to that, they will go to the Bible and said, say basically that God used people that were, you know, deemed unworthy. You know, he used murderers, he used liars, he used all of these different types of people and elevated them. And, and, and you know, they turned into people or men, you know, after God's own heart. And, you know, all of those examples. And then they turn around and gaslight you and say, and say that basically some of the people in leadership at the churches, no, they're not, you know, the most, you know, um, how, how, how should we say, respectable people. But... God changed their heart. They're a man or a woman of God now. And we should listen to them without question or critique. And that's the problem. Because you have a lot of Christians that are afraid to question the pastor. They're afraid to question the church in general. And you got to remember the church as they see it is not that physical building, but the church is an aggregation of all of you know, all of the Christians, the bride of Christ. So how dare you question another Christian? I need you to think about these things and why you can't question things, why you can't challenge them. Why are you deemed a sinner if if, if you're a nonconformist? Why are you deemed a sinner if you you know, if you question, if you critique, or you challenge. Why is that deemed a sin, but being racist is not necessarily viewed or deemed as being a sin? I got an article right here. Let me see here. Where is it? Uh, oh, my goodness. I know it's here somewhere. Let me see here. Ah, okay, this is on NPR, and this was published, I believe, July 6th of this year, oh, June 6th of this year, and the title of it is Evangelical Christians Grapple with Racism as Sin. Again, Evangelical Christians Grapple with Racism as Sin, and this was written by Tom Jelton, G-J-E-L-T-E-N. And it's only three minutes, you know, very succinct, right? But, you know, talking about racism in the church, you know, again, that's the number one way you can get yourself kicked out, shunned, ostracized, 
you know, gaslighted all over the place and, and, and being told that, you know, you know, you're one of those other people. You're not one of us. Come from amongst them, right? And they may look like us. They may sound like us, but they are not one of us. And, you know, it's a lot of this happening. It's so bad that they've taught us to do it to each other. You know, and it's just funny because um, it was some thread on my, on I think it was on the People of Color Beyond Faith that I posted. And it was critiquing, I don't really remember what it was, but it was critiquing something. And somebody came on the thread and was like, you sit behind your computer and you critique. What have you done? And I just laughed, you know, and responded, and I said, you must not know about me. And they never said another word after that. I'm not one of these people who's going to sit here and tell you all the things that I do for people. That's not what I do. And the people that do that, you need to pay attention. You need to pay attention because you have a bunch of megalomaniacs with narcissistic personality disorders walking around here under the banner of leadership. And that's across all of these sub-communities, these sub-cultures. And um, this is a really, 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 really good article on NPR. Evangelical Christians grapple with racism as sin. And um, here's another one on Washington Post. Since I'm giving out articles, I may as well go ahead and give you all some of these before I post them. Black and white evangelicals once talked about racial reconciliation, then Trump came along. Again, black and white evangelicals once talked about racial reconciliation, then Trump came along. This was published August 21st, a few days ago, basically a week ago, and this was published and written by Sarah Pulliam Bailey. Again, Sarah Pulliam Bailey, August 21st of this year. And there is a long history of the black church pushing back against racism. And a lot of that has been lost and it's been, you know, factored out of history. And, you know, it's just been really interesting going back to read this. But, you know, talking about issues like this, racism, sexism, misogyny, you know, patriarchy, homophobia, transphobia, a lot of that is taboo in the church. White, black, brown, purple, just in general. There are some churches that do address these issues. There are some churches that are affirming. And this is one of the reasons why you have all of these different types of churches. There is a church, I believe in California, <laughs> that that basically is built around, you know, taking psychedelics. So, I mean, you know, you shouldn't be surprised that there are atheist churches. So, anyway, um, I am going to start winding it down, but, you know, I'll give you a few more articles. Um, This one is on New York Times. And a lot of the articles that I talk about are behind paywalls, which is why I usually end up posting them on my wall with information because I have the subscriptions. So I have no problems putting that out there. You can also find it on the Black Free Thinkers. Wall, 
um, as well as the people of color beyond faith wall. And this article, Christianity Will Have Power. Again, Christianity Will Have Power. This was written by Elizabeth Diaz. And when was this posted? Um, June, July, August 9th of this year. So August 9th of this year, it talks about how Donald Trump made a promise to white evangelical Christians whose support can seem mystifying to the outside observer. And we all know what this is about. You know, and, and they want, you know, one of the reasons why they grapple with calling racism a sin is because they want to vote for people like Donald Trump and David Duke, and even though David Duke is not running for office as of right now. But they want to support people who have controversial and inflammatory views and rhetoric. They want to be able to vote for them without seeming racist, which is why you saw a lot of the black people that were being trotted out for that propaganda infomercial called the RNC and why you see them trotting them out now, you know, spokespeople and all of that, you know, the black spokespeople for Trump and Trump's for blacks, you know, they trot them out to make white people put them at ease and and to make them feel like they're not being racist by voting for Trump. They know trotting those people out do not necessarily influence black people to vote for Trump, but trotting them out with, you know, $5,000 gift cards that you can win, that doesn't mean that they're going to vote for Trump, you know, but they're, you're going to sit there and listen and take your gift card and do what you got to do, right? But, you know, in essence, you know, they're they're buying your vote. You know, you want to talk about, you know, indulgences. And I want you guys to look that up as well. Modern day indulgences. You know, as a matter of fact, let me go and do a Google search on that. Let's see what comes up. Because um, it's a lot of that happening. I mean, they never went away. And, again, they will make merchandise of you. They will commodify you. This is why, you know, you hear us talking about these things. You know, um, it says here that the modern-day Catholic Church doesn't sell indulgences. It was outlawed by the church in 1567, but not so much. It's just done a little differently now, right? And, um, you know, just go out. And read it, you know, right here it talks about the two types of indulgences, you know, in the Catholic tradition. One is a partial indulgence, which removes part of one's punishment or suffering, while a plenary indulgence removes all of one's punishment or suffering. And, um, yeah, you got some, some articles out here. And, of course, they don't call them indulgences. They go under other names, you know, like incentives. <laughs> you know, gifts, you know, shit like that. So anyway, um, another article in the Atlantic, Jeff Session explains why Christians support Trump. Again, Jeff Sessions explains why Christians support Trump. This was published June 30th of this year, and it was written by David Brown. And, you know, it's just really interesting because, you know, Christians believe that, you know, or say 
that this country was founded on Christian principles, and that's not true. However, you know, there are a little bit over 300 million people in this country alone, and by estimates, there are about 100 million Christians, right? So the overwhelming majority, even though that number is dwindling, there are a lot of people walking away from faith and walking away from church. There are some people that are walking away from church but still maintaining their faith. You know, um, some of them just have decided that, you know, uh, (laughs) to go back to, you know, African traditional religions, some have become Wiccans and pagans. Some have become nuns. And nuns are not default atheists. You know, and I hate when the atheists say, oh, the nuns are us. No, they're not. Not necessarily. No. So anyway, um, pay attention. Pay attention. They know exactly why they support Trump. But again, they grapple with looking at racism as a sin, just like they grapple with, you know, looking at misogyny as a sin. Because the Bible says, and my pastor says, you know, you want to get into a big fight with a pastor, talk shit about their pastor, I mean, with, a, with a Christian, talk shit about their pastor. They will be ready to fight you. Or they're threatened to put a curse on you. Right. And, you know, it's just interesting um, what Jeff Sessions says here. He says, it's not a democracy. He's a strong man, tough man, but he promised to protect them. And they believed him because they didn't want the Muslim Brotherhood taking over Egypt because they knew they'd be vulnerable. They chose to support somebody that would protect them. And that's basically what the Christians in the United States did. They felt they were under attack. And a strong guy promised to defend them, and he has. So when he was, you know, talking about there, he was talking in reference to Egypt and El Sisi, right, and how that same dynamic was applied to America and why a lot of these evangelicals, you know, support Trump because they believe that, you know, he can protect them. And, you know, an article here says there are at least three astonishing elements of this answer. The first is Sessions' favorable comparison of the U.S. to Egypt, even though he acknowledges that Egypt is not a democracy. It is, in fact, governed by a military junta that arose through a coup and which now oversees a flawed regime. The second is the analogy between Christians in the U.S. and Egypt. Egypt Christians, most of whom are cops, are a small and severely embattled minority subject to political repression, terrorist attacks, and pogroms, right? Many American evangelicals believe that they are also subjects of widespread discrimination. In 2017, the Public Religion Research Institute found that white evangelicals believe that they face more discrimination than Muslims in America. The analogy to the leaguered Egyptian Christians underscores both the depth and absurdity of that feeling. Finally, the parallel between LCC and Trump reveals a great deal about how Sessions sees Trump. LCC is a Muslim, not a Christian, but has made some efforts to improve protection for the Christian minority. Since seizing power from an Islamic government, in this analogy, Trump's views, 
Trump's religious views are neither relevant nor even the same as those of Christians. He's, he's useful as a protector, not as an exemplar, right? And so right here it says, this is not a single ill-thought-out parallel. Sessions also praised the bloody Syrian dictator al-Assad, a member of the Alawite sect, for protecting Christians and fighting Muslim terror groups. And I probably pronounced that wrong, so forgive me. You know, sometimes this is where words and names come to die. But, you know, I tell you that. But, you know, what's interesting was that there. And, again, this is just my opinion. Um, when they had the uprisings in Egypt and other places, of course, you know, America heralded that and, 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 and called themselves supporting these people that were pushing back but when it happens in this country, they want to crush it. I mean, look at all the protests that have been taking place since the Cheddar Tater type has been put in office. And it's interesting because, again, this anti-Islamophobia, you know, it's in all of these sub-communities as well. There's a lot of anti-Islamophobia in the atheist community as well. You know, and, and you see a lot of, you know, white women you know, being pelted with this as well. You know, um, it's not even dog whistles. You know, it's a straight-up holler. Donald Trump is saying that he's going to protect suburbia from, you know, low-income people, which are, you know, them black and brown folks over there. Low-income white folks can move over there and be safe. You know, it's still limited, but they can move over there, but they don't want the black and brown people. Now, you got to remember Donald Trump's that was sued for denying, you know, um, housing to black people. And so, you know, it's interesting. They want to, com you know, compare themselves or do a comparative analysis to the Muslims and what they're facing in Egypt while banning them from this country and, and, and vilifying them. I don't know about you. But I just think that, you know, this is a minefield, and you all need to pay attention. Mm -mm. Because they're going to continue, you know, gaslighting you with this. You know, I remember when Donald Trump was running for office, and then when he was elected, and I kept calling him a troll. And people were like, no, he's not trolling. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. And it, it just... It's a never-ending story. I mean, even if he loses this election coming up, he's still going to troll whoever is in office. And also the false narrative that he's putting out there about the far-left Democrats. The Democrats, as they stand right now, are Republican-liked. They are so far of center, it's ridiculous. And there was an article, I don't know if I posted it or not, but it was entitled, um, basically, um, the Republicans, I mean, I'm sorry, the Democrats are the new Republican Party. And again, the Democrats are the new Republican Party. And I'm looking it up now because I think it was on Black Agenda Report. So when I find the article, when I find the article, I'll post it on my wall. I have to look through my history because I actually did read it. 
And, you know, I, I agree with a lot of it, but it's just I don't do a lot of critiquing on my wall. I, you know, I just critique on the show. And even when I critique certain things on the show, I'm very careful. Other things, I don't give a damn. I can be reckless with it because I said what I said, and I meant that. But, you know, when I start critiquing Barack Obama and other black politicians, and, and particularly black pastors, and especially if they're black pastors that have delved over into politics, you know, people tend to get upset. And I get it. You know, because I had to learn that when I critique the church, there is a way to do it without making people feel as though you're mocking them and mocking their faith. And, you know, I've come a long way. And there are some people out there that disagree with the fact that, you know, I've taken a softer stance on the church. But I really have, you know, I really have not taken a softer stance. I just ask the same questions a different way. Now, I take a very hard stance with the atheist community. Why? Because they are out here deliberately hurting people. Some of them. And some of them are out here deliberately deceiving people. And in good conscience, I can't let that happen, especially when these same people are critiquing the church. But you're not critiquing yourself or your community. You're not self-policing your own community. And when you do self-police your community, it's to cover up for some damn skullduggery and bullshit. So, you know, it's just interesting. You know, so, I mean, we covered quite a bit of it, but, you know, again, I want you guys to go out there and question, you know, is Trump a false idol? Is he a golden calf? Is he a false prophet? And if so, you should be questioning your pastors and these evangelical leaders that are selling Trump to you, that's selling his message, that's selling his vision, that's selling his or your favorite televangelists. Are they false prophets? And have they commodified you and capitalized off of you or made merchandise of you? I need for you all to really to go out and, and, and do some research and understand what some of these scriptures mean. And you need to question it. Now, for those of you that want to send me an email, I guess I'll start reading my email again. But you can email me, blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. B-L-A-C-K-F-R-E-E-T-H-I-N-K-E-R-S at gmail.com. Again, B-L-A-C-K-F-R-E-E-T-H-I-N-K-E-R-S at gmail.com. Blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. And, you know, a while ago I brought up Amani the Misfit. I said, if someone knows how he's doing, tell him I said hi and I'm thinking about him, and I see he uploaded the Black Free Thinkers theme song to um, Spotify. So thank you for doing that, Imani. I saw that. I, I saw it a couple of weeks ago, and I've been meaning to say something about it because I followed it and liked it. So thank you, sweetheart. I appreciate that. It's nice to know that you're in the land of the living, and 
I hope that everything is well. Again, you know how to contact me if you so choose to do so. But you may want to send a text first because, you know, I'm a little leery about answering calls of numbers that I don't recognize. And when I do pick it up, I'm usually rude. So, okay. <laughs> don't take it personal. I don't know who's on the other line. And like I said, you wouldn't believe some of the shit that we've had to deal with. You know, um, at one point in time when I had the website up, and I had a little CGI form on there that people can just send in information. I was called all kind of niggers. And, you know, and it's just crazy because there's a lot of racism within the atheist community. And I've talked a lot about the alt-right, the white nationalism, and, and, and you know, the white supremacy, you know, of the atheist movement, of movement atheism. is steeped in white supremacists you know, viewpoints and talking points. And some of your favorite leaders are white supremacists. You know, some are in blackface. Because, again, you have a lot of these. To begin with, because they're secular. And so some of them want that money. And, again, some of them want white supremacy but in blackface. So I need for you all to understand that. And with this particular sect of black nationalists, again, they, they believe in patriarchy. They believe in capitalism. You know, they're, they believe in being homophobic. Just a number of the isms and a phobias that are problematic. And I need for you to understand who and what you're dealing with. And, you know, there have been people that say, well, Kim, we have to talk to them and educate them. And I'm like, no, you don't. And when I say that, I'm talking about we don't have to educate and inform white people. We do not have to educate and inform black nationalists. You can go and Google and look up and research everything that's the antithesis to what we're saying, but you can't look up what we're saying. That's disingenuous. And I will not be a party to it. So, no, I am not required to educate them. I already educate you on this show. I have so many people telling me I should monetize this. And I'm like, yeah, I could. Maybe I should. But I also have a problem with the money that people take in for these churches. I have a problem with the money that people take in for these organizations and foundations. I just have a problem with that all the way around, and yes, money makes the world go round. I get that, and everybody can use an extra few dollars and, you know, all of that. But, I mean, you know, we have to be real about this. If you want to send a donation, you can send it. You know, I have a cash app, dollar sign, Black Free Thinkers, B-L-A-C-K-F-R-E-E-T-H-I-N-K-E-R-S. You can, and the same thing goes for Venmo and PayPal, Black Free Thinkers. B-L-A-C-K-F-R-E-E-T-H-I-N-K-E-R-S. You want to send a donation in, that's great, what have you. You know, because Raina gets on my case a lot about that. She's like, you don't ask people for anything. And I'm like, no, that's, you know, I've always had a problem with that. But I know that I should. But I also feel that it should be given by that person's free will. If you want to give it, you give it. You know, and there are going to be some changes with some things around here, but um, you guys, so anyway, um, I want to definitely send out my condolences to Chadwick Bose 
Bozeman's family and his friends and his fans and all of that, you know, um, love and light, if you will. You know, and even in the, you know, atheist community, there have been some tragedies, you know, over the last month and all of that. And, um, you know, one, one specific person, you know, I know he didn't like me. But he didn't like me because of bullshit that some other people took to him. And, again, atheists, for you all to be critical thinkers and and, and all of these things, and you want to question everything, some of you are stupid. Just absolutely clueless. And I don't feel bad for calling you that because you did it to yourself. You question what you want to question. So anyway, this is Kim of Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. Again, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself. We are Black Free Thinkers, but we are not the Kanye or Candace Owens kind. I am not going to huck and buck, shuck and jive, Amos and Andy for, you know, these Republicans or these white people, whether they're white atheists, whether they're white feminists or anything like that. No, that's not me. You got enough tokens and mascots out there that are willing to shuck and drive, huck and buck, Amos and Andy for you, turn around, let you pat them on the head, they give you a free blow job, and they go on, and they're happy and they're married. That's not me. This is the wrong black woman. You're, you're confusing me with the other one. So anyway, you all go on and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. I'm about to fuck up this food and enjoy my evening. So y'all take care. See you Wednesday. Take it easy. Bye-bye.